listening to the Swim Out Podcast, a show about the wonderful world of outdoor swimming. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, Vicky. Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Swim Out Podcast, where we'll be talking all about the wonderful people who make the swims happen. There's so much more to big swims than just a swimmer. In today's programme, we meet the crew behind the scenes who support the person in the water achieve their dreams. First up, we have Podrick, a passionate pilot from Northern Ireland. And that's the beauty about this sport, because it's never just the swimmer. You know, there's the swimmer's crew, the swimmer's parents, children, husband, wife, you know, that's behind them. And that makes it such a beautiful sport. We meet those oh-so-important family and friends watching our backs and making decisions when things don't always go exactly according to plan. It was just the awful moment when, well, I could tell it was getting too dark because the waves were beginning to look the same as his elbow. And the boat we were on, it couldn't go quite his speed. So every now and then we had to circle in order to keep with him. It, It just was like, well, what if we circled and we lost him? And lastly, we have crew member extraordinaire Elaine Howley, who has supported swimmers, including Sarah Thomas, on her record-breaking English Channel crossings. One woman threw a tantrum in the water and she was like, it's my birthday and how can you do this to me? And, oh, you people are monsters. It's like, oh, lady, it's a one-mile swim in the river. Like, get a grip. And we hear from you, our lovely listeners, with more journeys to your favourite swimming locations. Remember to send us some love and give us some likes and feedback on your podcast apps. Tell your mum, your dog and your friends to tune in. Good ratings give the podcast a higher profile and more people can find us. Hey, Jonathan, how are you doing? What are you doing in your, in your swimming life? In my swimming life at the moment, it's now December, so the temperatures are dropping. We're now into single figures. So I'm still swimming in Windmere in the lake uh, and I'm training for a ice swimming competition in Morocco, which is uh, exciting and nerve wracking at the same time. So that should be really good fun. But uh, yeah, so the temperature is going to be under five degrees in Morocco, which obviously we're not anywhere near that yet. So it's yeah, it's been a case of trying to get as many long swims in as possible and not getting too cold. Very interesting. How about you? How is your swimming at the moment? I'm doing the polar bear challenge this winter. It's a swimming challenge where you log your swims and try to make certain distances under set temperatures and and also swim three kilometres per month. It's a fun challenge. So far, I've done my two kilometres below nine degrees and my 1.5 kilometres below eight degrees and made my 3K for November and December. It sounds like your training is going pretty well, probably better than mine, in fact. Um, this episode, we're talking about supporters and the people behind swims who who uh, help them succeed. So I've crewed for a couple of channel swims. I know that you swam the channel, Vicky, but have you crewed for any long swims as well? I, I have. I crewed for Hunter, who set up Swim Out with me, um, as well as swimming the channel in this same year. Um, so I was his support swimmer and then, um, you know, you have to organise the food, uh, do all the communications. It's a pretty tough job. 
I found it really difficult. I'm sure it's not as difficult as actually doing the swimming, but yeah, staying awake for that amount of time and being uh, on call and being on point for that amount of time for your swimmer, it's hard work. So did, did were, there, were there any notable events while you were crewing? Uh, there was an, a notable event after the, the crewing uh, of the two. So I crewed for two people and they subsequently got together and have had a baby since. So, um, oh, which is lovely. That's yeah, that's really sweet. Yeah. So, th- did they swim on the same day, or no? They swam. They swam. I think they swam a year apart from each other. And Kerry swam first, and then Tom swam second. Uh, and Tom had an amazing finish. So, when he got to the finish, he finished on the beach, and loads of uh, tourists and people on the beach all came down to the water's edge and like clapped him in. Uh, as he got onto the beach so he had a like the dream the dream landing I think oh that sounds fantastic excellent what a lovely story talking of ice swimming and marathon swims first up we have a very special guest the queen of Manhattan Jamie Monaghan not only holds the record for the most ever circumnavigations of Manhattan Island but is also the first person to complete the Ice Sevens Challenge. Here she shares her journey to her favourite New York swim spot. Hi, this is Jamie Monaghan, and I'd like to invite you to please come along with me as I take you to one of my favourite swim spots in the world. I want to be a part of it, New York, New York. My home is on Manhattan Island, just a few blocks from the Hudson River. But the currents in the river here are super strong with lots of boat traffic, so I don't generally swim there unless I'm part of an organized event. Instead, New York City swimmers and dippers travel to Brooklyn's Coney Island or Brighton Beach to train in open water year-round. These locations are about 30 minutes to an hour from Manhattan, depending on the traffic, and if you're taking the subway or a car or rideshare. My personal favorite local swim is a sunrise swim. But to catch the sunrise from the water, you'll need to set an early alarm and get dressed and ready in the dark. Heading out into the city streets, the people you encounter at this time will be coming out of the bars and nightclubs, not headed out to swim in the Atlantic Ocean. The driving route takes us down the West Side Highway along the Hudson River. We'll pass the silvery blue lit Freedom Tower to the very oldest part of New York City. When we reach the southernmost part of the island, we pass a checkpoint, then head underground, under the East River through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. The tunnel is lined with white ceramic tiles, which can cast an eerie glow as they reflect the headlights and brake lights of commuter traffic, even at this early hour. Coming out onto the Brooklyn streets, you'll see an industrial landscape that gradually changes to amazing views of the water, Manhattan skyline, and finally the Verrazano Bridge. A subway ride is a bit less scenic because it's mostly underground across Manhattan than into Brooklyn. The exception is when the train crosses the East River, high above the ground. If you look back at the right time, you'll be rewarded with panoramic views of the water and skyline, day or night. I always feel sad when people are facing the wrong direction in the subway car and don't look back to catch the spectacular view. Arriving to the Brooklyn beaches and stepping out of your train or car, you'll immediately hear the sound of the waves and seagulls. It's sometimes hard to believe you're in New York City. 
We walk across the sand to the water's edge, put on cap, goggles, earplugs, strip down, and then walk into the welcoming ocean. Depending on the morning, we might see the steeplechase lit up with colorful lights, or if we're feeling ambitious, we might swim out to buoy number six. Or, most likely, we'll just bob and float in the water, waiting to greet the dawn. This is Jamie Monahan, and thank you for taking a journey with me to my swim spot, Coney Island, Brooklyn, USA. Thanks, Jamie. I had a lovely winter dip at Coney Island one January alongside a Russian lady in a bikini who was quite inspiring. You can hear our full interview with Jamie Monaghan in episode one of series two of the Swim Out podcast. Podrick Mallon is an Irish open water and extreme marathon swimmer. He not only swam both the English and the North Channel in the same year, but is also the proud holder of two Guinness World Records. Podrick's may be best known as an ice swimmer and the founder of the International Ice Swimming Association in Ireland. Plus, he organises the infamous training event, Hit the Wall. Today, we're going to talk to him about another of his roles, that of piloting swimmers from Scotland to Ireland on their big day in the North Channel, with his company, Infinity Channel Swimming. Piloting is a crucial role for the swimmer and it's really important to get a good one. I started by asking him, what got him into piloting? I've always loved challenge swimming and particularly loved the North Channel because uh, I feel that it's one of the most arduous challenges in the world. So the challenge changed for me being able to swim it to piloting and getting swimmers across the North Channel and sort of putting the pieces of a jigsaw together to ensure that they've got the right boat, the right crew, the right training, and putting that all together to ensure that they actually are successful on the day. And how did you learn the job? I've always been on boats all my life, so the boat part of it wasn't actually very difficult. Understanding the tides integrally took a wee bit of learning, uh, but certainly with the guidance of uh, Brian Maharg, uh, of Banger Boats, um, and also... The, the pilots that I brought in to guide me and, and teach me were very knowledgeable in, in the local area. So, you know, we, we took all the data and we analysed it constantly and constantly from all our swims and previous historical swims that we had access to uh, and looked at all the information and, and tried to figure out why would you start there and why would the tide do this and just constantly question, question every aspect about a swim. Uh, and right down to the swimmer as well, and different different swimmers would start at different times, different positions, and different weathers would start. So we've really, really progressed even far beyond what our our mentors have have, have taught us to have virtually six different start points for six different types of weather. Can you tell me a bit about the tasks that you have to do as a pilot? It it starts really from when a swimmer we take a booking from a swimmer. So we ask the swimmer a good few questions to make sure that they're committed to it because slots in the North Channel are pretty tight, pretty far far and few between. So we want to make sure that the swimmer isn't taking on something that they are not going to be prepared for. We check in with the swimmer throughout the season and just making sure that they, if they need any help, any guidance, any direction, that we can, we can help that. 
uh, and then once the swimmer lands on the shore, we go and meet the swimmer face to face, get a sense of what type of person they are, physically and mentally, and then start we start building a crew around that. If the swimmer has medical conditions, we would put a crew member that has advanced medical training. So yeah, we really really put all the jigsaws, all the all the pieces of jigsaw together, and give that swimmer the best opportunity. Majority of of our team are swimmers, are challenge swimmers, be it relay swimmers or solo swimmers, and we can understand what's going through a swimmer's mind. So there must be some real highs with the job. Um, tell tell us what, what have been your highlights of piloting. For me, I suppose one of the pinnacles was Sarah Thomas's two way. It's been trashed out that it, in the local community. Uh, in Ireland that it, it was impossible to do and I've really me and, and my team uh, have worked unbelievably hard to prove that it is possible to do it Caroline Black has swam I think it's six times now the North Channel and three of those were two-way attempts and her attempts were instrumental in proving a route across the North Channel and obviously Sarah Thomas then came this year and it went perfect. And that's not just years of Sarah Thomas training and, and being one of the world's greatest open water swimmers. There's also years of training and years of, of trial swims, the likes of Caroline Black and, and other swimmers, you know, that, that makes that successful. And that's the beauty about this sport because it, it's never just the swimmer. You know, there's the swimmer's crew, the swimmer's parents, children, husband, wife, you know, that's behind them. And that makes it such a beautiful sport. You're also um, really into ice swimming. So what attracts you to the ice swimming? It really was exploring my mental and physical abilities that really attracted me. And then it took you to some amazing places throughout the world and met some amazing people, all these crazy people that just enjoyed what what you were doing and, and... had a great party after all of the events, which is always a, a plus. Do you run this event called Hit the Wall, which I, I'm, I'm thinking about doing next year? Hit the Wall started maybe nine years ago or ten years ago when there was five guys looking to do a relay and they were looking some sort of harder training than, than they would put themselves through. So we start off on a Friday evening um, at the last weekend of May usually in Carnford Lock. So the water temperatures are pretty much what you're going to get on the North Challenge during the summer. Friday evening, we get together, we do a night swim. So it's so important to, to build your confidence up during the night. And sometimes we put on an underwater micro, microphone. We play Jaws music just to spice it up slightly. <laughs> and people think it's in their in their mind that th- this is happening. They don't actually realize it. So then Saturday, Saturday morning, we mix it up with yoga. And it's the Battle of Carnford Lock. It's an 8K swim from one village to the next village where the, the camp is. Um, and there's probably about 250 swimmers in that swim. It's a good race. Uh, you're with the tide, so it isn't overly difficult for anyone. And then the Sunday morning, we have another few swims. Uh, and we get together and have a few beers and have a, have a meal together. And it's a good chance for... All, all types of swimmers to get to chat to each other, to inspire each other, you know, to talk about different swims all over the world, to ask questions about swims that you want to do, 
it's really nice to see these, uh, you know, there's super leads to when my mother comes every year, she just loves the adventure of, of swimming. And, and then we kicked them out of bed early on the Monday morning and we're doing up to 12 hours swimming in Karen for Luck, regardless of the conditions. You need to be training uh, both for your, for your body. You need to be training more t- difficult conditions than, than you're going to get put into. You know, so if you've done 12 hours in Carnford Lock at 12 degrees, there's a damn good chance you're going to make your channel, you know. So it's that's 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 what the whole hit the wall is, is about, building confidence and building relationships. You can check out the Infinity Channel Swimming website and the longer version of that interview is available on our website at swimout.net. Get in touch with the Swim Out podcast on Facebook and Instagram. As Podrick says, family is crucial in any marathon swim, but they do say that you should never have family members as your crew. But Vicky, your wife Una was in charge of your feeding, welfare and support on your channel crossing. How did that go? Yeah, we were really worried initially that she would get too seasick. But once we found the right pills, she really was the perfect crew for me and played a massive part in my swim. So we sent Una to visit Ross Bailey to talk about this dual role. Ross's partner, Frank Chalmers, who we interviewed in Series 1, not only swam the English Channel, but also attempted the Pentland Firth from Orkney to Scotland. Over to you, Una. So, Ros, it's lovely to be here in this wonderful flat, looking out on Hampstead Heath, and even better, looking out over Parliament Hill Lido, where we can see people swimming up and down. And it's the Lido that features in the film that you made with Frank about his swim across the Pentland Firth, called Crossing Hell's Mouth. And I re-watched that film a couple of days ago, and it made me realise that these swimmers my Vicky and your Frank, they're just mad. But somehow they normalise this craziness because they just there's something about them that allows them to cut out all the noise that surrounds the madness. And it's very pure and it's very simple and it's about get in the water and swim. And I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit about how Frank approaches his swims and what his mindset is. I think you've absolutely put your finger on it. He's exactly like that. It's like he'll he, he get an idea which will gradually sort of solidify in his mind and then he starts planning and he'll plan meticulously and nothing on earth will stop him. <laughs> and when he did the swim, and I'm thinking of the channel particularly, it was just like I just was on the boat watching and it was just like awesome. He just got in the water, in the dark, one o'clock in the morning, started swimming, and that was it for the whole time. It was just like, just swimming. No, no moment when there was anything else going on. It was just like swimming to the other side. Yes, mm. absolutely mm. extraordinary level of focus. It is extraordinary. I think Vicky was the same. I think she got in the water. I think it was 10.30 at night, similar dark, big moon though that night. And just she just kept going, and she even enjoyed it. 
and she didn't really have any moments. But it, the focus was incredible. It's like, okay, now we're going here. Now we're going there. Okay, fine. And it was just like absolutely determined to get to that beach in France. And yes, incredible. I mean, Frank talks. He talks about the mental fortitude of swimmers, and I think that's a really big thing, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think in some ways, in some ways, the training is is even worse than the the swim because when it finally comes to the swim obviously it's very exciting and it, you, you're actually doing it but but for the channel I mean those years of plowing up and down the pool requires it to me that's the bit I just can't imagine being motivated to do yeah no I, I completely agree and I think Vicky says you know the hardest part about swimming the channel is not swimming the channel it's the training mm. and I think for me the hardest part was standing on that beach at Dover weekend after weekend and in the rain and whatever so yeah it's hard very hard she said in the film that you admired Frank enormously for his swims and I think this the same here with Vicky you know I, I admire her incredibly for it and you said in the film there's nothing nicer than being part of helping somebody to achieve what they really want to do in life can you tell us a little bit more about your role in helping Frank achieve these amazing things well, I think if, if I think about the two swims, the Channel and the Pentland Firth, they were very different. Because in the Channel, basically, he, he went off and did it. He went off and trained. He went off down to Dover. I wasn't such a good supportive partner as you. I'm afraid I wasn't on that beach week after week. I went down occasionally. But he didn't need that because that was quite structured. But I think on the Pentland Firth, it was, it, it was, it was a much more of a team effort because there we we were making it the whole thing up from from scratch he had to find the people to do it and then we had to talk about how we were going to do it and think about it so there was a tremendous amount of trying to work it out mm. it was a real trailblazing swim really wasn't it with the the pilots and you and frank and the scratching of the heads around a table where you're all going, oh, well, look at, the, look at these currents. Yeah, and that made it a wonderful experience for me because I was absolutely part of that and part of the thinking and, and getting to know those people was, was such a great thing and really being part of that community because we were there for a month and completely absorbed in a, a very different community. So it was, in that way, it was a wonderful experience. And I, I think, I mean, he would have done it if I hadn't been there because... He was frank. But on the other hand, I think it was much easier to have somebody else to think with and to, and also to deal with the waiting because the waiting was the difficult thing for that swim. that We had to wait, wait and we didn't know if there'd ever be the right combination of mm. wind and tide. Mm. No, I think that that wait is a really difficult thing. I mean, I watched and I really felt for you in the film where you're waiting in that mobile home and I'm just thinking god I know this feeling so well because you're on high alert because the swim might happen tomorrow but it might not so you're on this strange strange and how, how did you manage it I, I can't really remember how I managed it with Vicky I ended up walking most of the coast of mainland and the southern islands of Orkney because I mean to be honest I was going slightly stare crazy yeah. um it began to feel quite small at times. Mm. Um, we could go to the... There was a sort of tea shop in the museum across the valley and we could go into Kirkwall, but you know, it was sort of like... Yeah, a bit like that. So I just used to go and say, OK, Frank, I want to do a walk from here to here. 
and he'd drop me off and then he'd go to he was going to the gym to keep fit and then I'd walk around the coast so I, I did have my own rather wonderful project of walking around the coast of Orkney. Oh, that's nice. So you achieved that as well. <laughs> that sounds jolly good. <laughs> There's another element about the role of being a supporter, which is one of great conflict, I think, because in especially on the actual swim, you've sort of got two jobs which are completely in conflict. One is keeping them safe... And the other is allowing them to push right up to the limits of where they can go and seeing them suffer, which, of course, you don't want to do. And I think that's a really difficult role for, for a partner. And in some ways, at first, I was thinking maybe I wouldn't go on the boat because I might want to go, no, come out, it looks too horrible in there. Um, did, did you experience any of that or were you a bit more pragmatic about it? Well, uh, with those swims... Um, the channel was absolutely fine because there was never any doubt that mm. he was going to do it. Um, on the Pentland Firth, it was just the awful moment when the boatman had said to me, well, I could tell it was getting too dark because the the waves were beginning to look the same as his elbow on his mm. swim. And the boat we were on, it couldn't go quite his speed. So every now and then we had to circle in order to keep with him. And it was just, it just was like, well, what if we circled and we lost him? You know, it was sort of, it just, and I just relied on the the expertise of yeah. Mungo and Willie. Yeah. And they said they thought it was time and that we the tide wasn't going to take us in. But there was such a desperately sad moment. I mean, just awful. Yeah. I suppose I felt that with Vicky had Eddie Spelling as her pilot. And he only came up once and that was to tell her to stop chatting during feeds because she was taking too long. Yeah. Um, but I kind of trusted that if there was a problem and he he could see it going wrong, he would just say. And yes. they're just, that's their job, isn't it? And there's well, no I, emotion involved for yes. them. I think we'd, we'd had a very firm agreement that he would come out the minute I said. Is there anything else, Rods, that you'd like to add about your role? As the swim widow. Well, I think, uh, yes, I think the thing that I would say is that um, it's it's wonderful to have the opportunity mm. to experience these things which are so exciting. I mean, like just being on a channel swimmer, it's a fantastic, exciting thing. You look up and there's a container ship, the height of, you know, a tower block just in front of you and you're on this boat and you're you're just doing all these things you would never normally get to do. So... It's actually a hugely exciting mm. um, and different experience. Mm. And obviously, if you if you were to be involved in pioneering a swim like we did, again, it was just a tremendous experience. Thanks, Ros and Una. You can watch Crossing Hell's Mouth on YouTube and listen to the interview with Frank in Episode 3 of Series 1. Fiona MacDonald, who helped co-present the last series, simply loves to swim. Living high above Loch Ness in the highlands of Scotland, her perfect spot is at the foot of a waterfall, about 14 miles further up the glen from where she lives. It's a drive away along single-track roads, past fields and an ancient burial cairn. Fiona parks at an old cemetery, heads up an overgrown path, and takes up the story of her journey. 
This is my absolute favourite swim and yet I haven't been here since April actually, early April when, well, everything was in spate really because of all the snow melting on the hills up above and, and then it hurtles down this waterfall which is where I'm heading just now just cascades down into this lovely pool at the bottom and you, well you have to do a bit of clambering over the rocks to get into the water but once you're in it's deep, it's circular and and just very, well still I say that but uh, you know you are getting a bit hammered by the waterfall if you go underneath it. So you reach the top of this really steep path and you can actually hear the sound of the waterfall coursing down. Actually it's really exciting I love that sound you know as you get higher and higher and then you start to just tip down and then you hear it pulling you in. <laughs> oh there we are look at it this white sheet of water just pouring down and into the, the lovely circular very dark pool down below and the dog <laughs> the dog's already in this really must have been coming crashing down these ancient ancient rocks for hundreds and hundreds of years and yet the rocks are hard you know there's a mixture of sandstone granite you name it, it's here. And it's just that sheer rock face that, which grows so far up above me at the moment with all the, the trees clinging for dear life onto the sides. And that's essentially it, you know. The swim has become, well, you just become a part of it all. You're on your own and you just, well, you just got to give in to it. Marvellous. Sounds like a very special swim spot. Thanks for sharing, Fiona. Finally, we are very pleased to be joined by Elaine Howley, who is a marathon swimmer, ice smiler, event organiser, swimming writer and support crew extraordinaire. Elaine, welcome to Swim Out. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So you have a um, massive history, not only of marathon swimming, but also you are a supporter of marathon swims around the world, of different people. So tell us a bit about why you feel it's so important to give back to the sport in that way. With marathon swimming, it's often referred to as a solo sport, but it really isn't because there's no way that any of us could do any of this stuff if we didn't have a team to back us up. So it's a solo swim, but it's always a team effort. And the only way that those teams can work is if we all contribute, if we all give back when we can uh, to, to help other people achieve their goals. And what do you think makes a good support crew? Well, I think you need to have somebody who is familiar with what's happening. All kinds of unexpected stuff crops up during these swims. And the more experience the crew has, I think, generally speaking, the better the outcome is going to be because um, you're just a little steadier on your feet, both literally and figuratively. Because when you're on these boats, like you've got to have boat legs because <laughs> it's really awkward when they're getting tossed around at a very slow speed sometimes. But also in the figurative sense, you know, if you've faced these sorts of 
obstacles in the past, it makes you more able to troubleshoot and, you know, problem solve on the fly. Because uh, that's what a lot of crewing is about is, okay, my swimmer's throwing up, what do I do now? Okay, well, you know, this, this tide turned a little early, how do we keep their spirits up so they can keep swimming? Um, and I think the more experience you have, with that, the more tools you have in your in your belt to pull out when when the chips are down. I've crewed for a couple of channel swims, and I did find it really difficult. What do you think is more difficult, actually swimming or the crewing? It's just a very different kind of challenge because a lot of times there's sleep deprivation that comes into play, um, particularly if you're doing multi-way swims like Sarah's four-way crossing of the English Channel in 2019. I mean. She was pushing the boundaries of um, human capacity in terms of staying awake while swimming. We on the boat were kind of doing something parallel to that with how long can you stay awake to crew somebody? What's it like to be part of these record-breaking world's first swims? Oh, it's super exciting, you know, especially when you see somebody as talented as Sarah just really pushing out the bounds of what people thought was humanly, physically possible. So to be on the front lines and watch that happen in real time is super cool. Like that presses all my buttons because um, at the end of the day, the crew is, you know, you're a primary link in the chain of safety for this event you know and, and nobody wants to get hurt doing this stuff you want to come back and swim another day but it's kind sometimes it can be challenging to know exactly where that line is between are we are we expanding the bounds of what's possible or have we gone over that line into too far have you ever been in the situation where you've had to call a swim or you want to call a swim but the swimmer is like I'm not going out I, I've seen it both on big swims and little swims uh, I was on the safety boat for the one mile Charles River swim here in Boston earlier this past summer uh, it's just a one mile swim but they have a real strict one hour time limit on the course because it's a major thoroughfare for boat traffic and stuff there were a handful of people who were going to get pulled because they weren't at the final turn so we went through and Picked up a couple of people and no problem. They just got in the boat. But this one woman threw a tantrum in the water and she was like, it's my birthday. And how can you do this to me? And, oh, you people are monsters. It's like, oh, lady, it's a one mile swim in the river. Like, get a grip. And thinking about, I know you've done ice smile as well. Have you done support for people doing ice smiles? Yes, I have <laughs> a few times. And, uh, and they're like the... The concept that, you know, things happen quickly, it's it's magnified multiple times in an ice mile because, you know, there's just very little margin of error when you're talking about, you know, five degrees Celsius and colder. There's just, there's no wiggle room. We had run a, an ice mile here in Boston several years ago, and we had a swimmer who we didn't realize how close to the edge this person had gotten. They finished the swim under their own power, so it was a successful swim, but they ended up in the hospital for two days as a result of it. And so we, you know, as the organizers, we decided that that was a failure. As a result of that, we put in place um, some checks at each turn. Another rule that we had instituted early on was like, if you want to do an ice mile, you have to come volunteer at one prior to yours because we want you to witness what this is going to look like. Um, before you get involved. You know, we've had a couple of people who came and assisted and said, you know what, this isn't for me. I didn't realize it was going to be that hard. It's also a lot of fun. So it does scare me when people are like, oh, I'm going to do a nice smile. And it's like mm. their first winter of swimming. And you're like, 
maybe maybe you should just like work up towards that a bit more we won't support a swimmer if it's their first season ice swimming we want to make sure you have that baseline of experience behind you you know have gotten too cold a few times before we put you up for the main event and talking about your writing chronicling marathon swimming why is it important for you to do that as well First off, it's fun. It's like my passion work. You know, these are impressive human feats. And at some point along the way, the world lost interest in marathon swimming. And, you know, I think if you can bring this up to the surface, if you can talk about it more, maybe introduce more people to the sport, that's one aspect of it. But also, um, you know, recognize the people who came before us. There's some pretty badass stuff out there that is is fodder for inspiration, but it's also, I think, important that those people get their due. Well, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Anytime. Thanks, Elaine, for all the support you give to the swimming community. And a big thank you to all the contributors in this episode and to all the unsung heroes who do so much to support amazing swims around the world. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in the new year with more episodes. Keep in touch via our website, Facebook and Instagram. But for now, swim out. And swim safe. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.